All right, everybody, welcome back to the Not A Rabbi podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 3. And once again, I would like to thank the fine folks at the unofficial Fifth Column Podcast Discord server for allowing me to use their airwaves to record a live broadcast. Hope everyone is doing well today and uh, you are surviving Valentine's Day for whatever that is worth to you. Before we get into the main topic that I would like to talk about today, there is something I really wanted to just get off my uh, chest a little bit. Some events that happened this past week uh, in the entertainment industry, and it's really more than just the entertainment industry. It's it's something that has bothered me, I think, for, for a while, and uh, why it's taken so long for me to put my finger on it. Not really sure about that, but it has, and um, I'm going to try to talk about it. That is the whole topic of using the analogy of being a Nazi and calling somebody a Nazi, uh, something that has come up once again in the news. And that is, hey, hello, Dash. Good to see you. Uh, So anyhow, that has been something that's come up in the news. And I wanted to take a minute or two to discuss it. And uh, it starts off really with uh, this latest introduction. Starts off really with Gina Carano's statements that she made, um, and there will be a sh- there will be a link in the show notes for this uh, for an article about it. Basically, what she said, the gist of it was uh, before I get to the main to the real quote, she compared Hollywood to a conservative in Hollywood being sort of like a Jew to the Nazis. Oh, here we go. It was something along the lines of, it's in the first line, no wonder I couldn't find it. Uh, She said on Twitter that being a Republican today is like being Jewish during the Holocaust. That is obviously a blatantly stupid and dumb statement to make. Not going to even try bothering to excuse it in any way, shape, or form. uh, Because it's, it's blatantly stupid. Uh, but there's a great, there's a larger issue here that I think is, needs to be discussed and talked about, which is the overuse of this analogy. And we've seen a lot of it in the last four years, uh, especially. And it has, you know, really, I believe, and this is obviously my personal belief on it because I've got this microphone. So, and I'm, I'm sharing it with you, but it's, my belief that the more people go ahead and use this, and it actually, let me take a step back before I get into the greater point here. It seems to me that Godwin's Law has uh, sped up immensely, and the comment to Godwin's Law is going to be also in the show notes, a uh, link to the Wikipedia article about it. But basically that says anybody that uses being a Nazi or Nazism in a conversation on the internet automatically loses that discussion and that seems to be really have sped up to uh huge you know to almost over you know seconds in it but you know and so anyway they fired this individual gina carano um 
they being Disney, she was on a show that has, uh, you know, taken a lot of nerds by storm, which is The Mandalorian. She was on it. She was actually a favorite character of some people uh, in this. And again, the, the statement that she is making is, you know, I can't, it's blatantly stupid. It's a dumb statement to make. I don't know why anyone would make it. Um, yet, there it is. You know, but she is not the only person to have called people a Nazi um, with that. The only problem is she, you know, was being looked at and had a really uh, mag close eye put on her by other comments that she made, and people were out to get her. And that's you know, fine, and they're, you know, the company is allowed to fire her, I'm not going to get involved in any of that type of, uh, type of thing. I don't think that what she said specifically today, or not today, but specifically this week, was a fireable offense. Disney can do as they see fit, being that they are a private company. Uh, however, you know, like I said, this does lead to a greater issue and a greater point here, which is the desensitization, 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 I guess. Sure, why not? Let's go with that. The desensitization of uh, this term and this expression being everything is now being a Nazi. You are a Nazi if you don't allow somebody to do whatever it may be that you don't, that you want to do and they're not allowing you to, they are now Nazis. Everybody is a Nazi. And that take, rem, always reminds me of the an expression that was used in the first Incredibles movie. If nobody is special, if I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. If everyone is special, then no one is special. Same thing here. If everybody is a Nazi, nobody is a Nazi. And this really desensitizes the whole thing, the whole idea and concept and the cruelty that there was. Uh, with the Nazi regime. And I think that it does everybody a disservice to continuously use this term. It doesn't matter if you are a, uh, if you are somebody that is referring to uh, a former president as the Fuhrer. It doesn't matter if you are uh, talking about separating children from their parents uh, and who are trying to immigrate or trying to uh, get into this country, be it illegally or legally, it doesn't matter. It does, you know, you don't call that Nazism. That is something that is n that is something that is not inherently a Nazi thing. Uh, Nazis, as you know, uh, I don't have to go into it. I'm not going to go into it. I think that, you know, I have pretty much said uh said enough on that uh that topic anybody want to add anything in the chat they are obviously more than welcome to uh to do so but uh you know now that we got got that out of the way and this actually may be a, a little bit of a uh, a shortened show tonight and if it is i do apologize but um now let's get on to i guess uh the main event which was what everybody voted for on the poll that was put up at notarabbipod.com and for the show topic of this week, which was the laws of kosher. And uh, hence, we're going to be calling this episode Keeping It Kosher. And there 
is a lot to go into this and I'm going to try again once again try to keep it at a 100 foot 100,000 foot level so that we can try to understand this because we can really really get into the weeds and get lost into the weeds very easily and what I want to start with is kind of what isn't considered being kosher what is not considered being kosher is uh and a lot of people have this understanding or you know thought which is that it has to be blessed by a rabbi and that is really not the case the word kosher uh has the root um which basically means prepare or be correct and so that's so what does it mean to be prepared or to be correct and let's just use the words be correct in this point and what we can do is we can take a look uh, because these are all basically biblical commands if you take a look it is actually written down it's it's written twice uh, once in Leviticus and once in Deuteronomy at the beginning of in Leviticus it's the chapter 11 uh, it talks about what animals what fowl and what sea creatures are kosher and are not kosher and it goes through them uh, with that a pretty good rule of thumb is if it's going to be a predator or a predatory animal then I would say 99% of the time it is not considered to be kosher you'll see that the kosher animals are mainly those animals which are not predatory and so that's a pretty good good rule of thumb uh, that goes with that goes uh, you know that goes with regard to the animals it goes regards to fowl any types of birds uh, or sea creatures also with regard to all of these are um, carrion types of creatures so anything that is going to be eating from remains of an animal such as a vulture or let's say uh let or crustaceans which are like a lobster or a crab that are just eating the scraps off of the bottom of the sea floor those are things that are not kosher as well so that is uh that is that um now you know with that and with regard to animals and even with birds uh, not so much with sea fish, uh, not so much with sea creatures, is the laws uh, that go into kosher slaughtering. And uh, as you may or may not know, there were there were PETA and uh, other organizations that are against the cruelty of animals have come to object to the uh, the way that animals are slaughtered in Europe some countries are trying to have their laws of slaughtering changed so that they can people cannot slaughter animals in the way that uh, Jews and also Arabs do this and it is uh, creating a little bit of an uproar within the uh, you know in the within those countries for the Jewish community to to do so and um, you know, so basically it's just, it's cutting it across, it's a smooth cut across the neck, uh, to cut all the vital organs, uh, 
windpipe and the esophagus and all the like and kill the animal that way uh, at that point in time and actually let me just also make a point here that also the um when once the animal is killed only the uh, according to jewish law only the front of the animal is used due to the fact that the sciatic nerve uh shouldn't isn't taken out uh not used isn't taken out let me put that better uh, because of the the location of the sciatic nerve jews do not eat the sciatic nerve in the in the animals and this is uh again this is a biblical scripture which you could take a look at it's actually in genesis uh chapter 32 verse 33. so once the animal is is killed and slaughtered and you have the animal there they're actually they go ahead and check the insides for any lesions or adhesions uh to uh to the lungs specifically to make sure that it is what is called uh glot kosher and glot and is a yiddish term really that means smooth uh, so there are no there are no adhesions or lesions on this animal's lungs, which may or may not render it not allowed to be eaten for again various various reasons. And I'm, I really don't want to get into the uh, too far into the weeds about that. So there we are with 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 that. Um, now becomes another issue that always comes up which is the issue of having uh meat and milk being mixed or you know having you know jews as uh, some people may know or may not know jews often have separate sets of dishes the religious religious jews have often separate sets of dishes one for dairy and one for meat and never the twain shall meet and uh, pun not intended actually which is i know very surprising for me but uh, that is what they that is what they have uh, welcome narco bidenist by the way glad to see you could make it um and anyhow the they are, uh, you know, there are two separate, we are not allowed to eat milk and meat together. Uh, so you're not allowed to, you know, um, so let's get into why that is. And the reason for that is there is a biblical prohibition, which is mentioned three times in the Bible. One time it is mentioned in Exodus 23. One time it is mentioned in Exodus 26, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus 34, uh, verse 26. And then a third time it is mentioned in Deuteronomy 14, that you should not cook a kid, meaning a baby sheep or goat, in, and I always get it mixed up, you should not do that in, a should not boil a kid or cook a kid in its mother's milk. And the Talmud learns out from that and explains that there are actually the reason that it's repeated three different times is that it is there are three different prohibitions uh, one is not to actually do the cooking of the mixture b or two not to eat the mixture and then finally not to have any monetary or physical uh, benefit 
from this mixture as well. So in other words, if you had cooked this uh, for, let's say, a non-Jewish person who you wanted to get a favor from, that would be something that you would not be able to do because you are then not allowed to go ahead and make that dish for this individual because you are getting some benefit out of it. Um, so that obviously allow you know creates a separation between having milk products and having dairy products and again you're not so you know then let's say why don't you are you why not able to have a coffee with milk after your wonderful uh, pastrami sandwich and that is because there are some you know to get a little bit further and deeper into it there that is because of the way uh, that a couple of reasons. One is one understanding is that it's the way that the food digests. The other reason is kind of sort of uh, the way that the meals were eaten and how many meals you ate. And uh, so some people will wait six hours in between or in between having milk and meat products. Some people will wait less. Uh, the, the people of German Jewish descent have the custom of waiting for three hours and i believe the spanish portuguese jews have a custom of waiting one hour in between milk and uh, e eating milk and meat so therefore and it has to do like i said either with how the food gets digested and how quickly the food gets digested or having the or having the uh you know, how often you have your meals apart. There are two different understandings of it. Uh, what's interesting is that there is also this law when it comes to having hard cheese. So let's say uh, the classic hard cheese case is, uh, is the case of Parmesan cheese, where you're going to have, um, let's say, a dish with Parmesan cheese. Uh, whatever dish that may be, pasta primavera. Let's let's go with that, right? And you're going to have on top of that, you're going to have some good Parmigiano Reggiano uh, that is that is that is done. Oh, oh, that's actually a very good point. Let me let me just bring this up. Traditional Parmigiano Reggiano, uh, they are using an enzyme called rennet, which comes from the cow's stomach, and a lot of times to harden the cheese, and that does create a problem with real with um parma you know the a lot of parmigiano reggiano where you cannot use that because this is a violation of having milk and meat together there are nowadays some synthetic enzymes that are used to make uh parmigiano reggiano in and it has the official uh seal burnt into it uh, in fact when my daughter went to uh, Italy a couple of years ago, she picked up some real Parmigiano Reggiano and I, for uh, a chunk of it for me uh, and uh, for us and a chunk of it for my mom as well because my mom enjoys to have the uh, the real Parmigiano as well. Um, but anyway, so when you're taking when you have a dish and you're eating Parmesan cheese, it's a hard cheese, and therefore and again, if it's the digestive reason, let's just go with the digestive reason for a minute, then you do not go ahead and, uh, actually not do not, but you have to wait the, uh, whatever amount of time you usually wait in between meat and milk to go ahead and eat that other product. So you're going to have, uh, either 
meet, uh, you know, you're going to have to wait that six hours or that three hours or that one hour, depending on what, what your, uh, what your local customs were, I guess you could say about that. Um, and so, you know, that is, you know, that is, I guess, <coughs> that is, you know, some of the kosher laws in, in a nutshell, it does get a lot more into the weeds. Um, and it gets a little bit more in depth. I know. Um, what's interesting, however, is if you would walk in to your local shopping uh, grocery store, um, whatever whatever it may be, it may be a uh, Publix in Florida shop right here in New York. You could have a, a Giant Eagle in Pittsburgh. Uh, you could have a Kroger's, I think, in some parts of central Pennsylvania, uh, central uh, central United States, Ohio, and the like. And you walk in, and you would have probably around 75% of all prepared foods already being kosher. So you could walk in, you could probably go ahead, pick up some, some bread there, you can pick up cookies, you can pick up, uh, you know, my favorite Oreos, you can pick up you know, coffee, which has a rabbinic supervision on it. Um, and, you know, you could pick up so many peanut butter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Hmm. Hold on one second. Let me just try to help somebody out that is trying to join the session here. Does anyone have a link for the uh, Discord session? Ah, and there he is. Welcome, Tom. With regard to... Uh, going into a supermarket. Yeah, so you could walk about 75% of all food nowadays is kosher. And there's actually a, a huge demand for things being kosher. A good book about this entire industry, the kosher industry, for lack of a better term, is a book that I read years ago uh, by a person named Sue Fishkoff, and the book is to, uh, called Kosher Nation. I'll be putting a link for the uh, ebook up in the show notes as well, so you could, uh, if you are so inclined, you can take, you could buy that and read it. It is an interesting read, and it gives you some interesting insight into how things are and what how kosher works on a modern scale because the kosher organizations that that work on a modern scale uh, or that are around on a modern scale such as the orthodox union the ou uh, mm. as their symbol is and also the uh you know the uh, ok laboratories are two of the major ones they they really have hard jobs and because what they have to do is they have to go ahead and go into these factories where they're making the food make sure that they have a they see what is being in there for the raw ingredients make sure that the raw ingredients are actually kosher and continue on to make sure throughout the entire process and there are lots of things that this the food companies have to go through in order to become kosher and it is uh it is really amazing to see they have actually they sh all the organizations share a database uh amongst themselves for specific products 
that are m used to make the uh, make what we buy in a store and so that they are able to tell okay this product came in it's got this and this uh serial number it's gonna it's it's okay it's kosher um to to be used and i mean this is something that goes on in restaurants as well obviously because restaurants come in you got the, the rabbi who supervises the restaurant has to go ahead and make sure that everything that comes into the restaurant is going to be kosher as well and so there are surprise inspections all the time at these locations uh in fact a restaurant that i like that uh here in brooklyn in the crown heights section of brooklyn had a little bit of an issue a couple of years ago where they were under specific supervision and they would not uh let the rabbi come in for a inspection and they went ahead and uh just uh, lost their supervision as a result of this because they just refused to let people uh, let people uh, go ahead. And so it was. It's a very interesting. Uh, it's a it's a very interesting thing. And there is some you know when you talk about it on a national level, places like Israel, there are actually uh, there are a lot of political issues that get involved in this. And again, I don't want to touch those with a. Uh, with a 10-foot pole as uh, so or actually a six-foot pole since there's social distancing nowadays i guess a 10-foot pole would be good enough for social distancing as well but it's amazing though how many products are kosher um you know you're going to pick up a, a some francesco rinaldi spaghetti sauce it's going to be kosher uh, you know, just, you know, of course, pork rinds, they haven't come out with a way to make pork rinds kosher yet. And honestly, I've, they've always not been something that I've been interested in. Um, bacon, you know, they, they do make something called beef fry, which is uh, pretty much like bacon. It's bacon light, I guess you could say. And that is, uh, that is something that uh, can be, uh, can be done. And, and and eaten and i am uh, i actually partake in it because that's one of the things that i still love is is the smell and the taste of bacon um and this is the easiest way for me to get my uh to get my fix on it but um you know that is the that is kosher and you know so what i'd like to do now i mean because i think i pretty much done what i'd like to get through in terms of the in terms of the uh a, a, an overview of it um that is that is what it is however i wanted to throw it open to those in the chat and see if you have any specific questions for me with regard to to kosher all right narco bidenist uh mentions he was late to the convo so apologies if this is already covered but he heard the but he's heard the debate whether or not kosher is necessarily more humane in the treatment of animals than non-kosher any thoughts on this yes uh, i've got plenty of thoughts on this and i i meant to mention this as well I, I kind of mentioned it in terms of that it is a topic of discussion uh in debate that goes on here in America and also in Europe where they're trying to ban the ritual slaughter of animals in in uh in certain European countries I don't know whether it's because of uh 
you know, it's anti-Muslim backlash because they basically slaughter the same way, or is it because of other issues or the, the human, humanity of animals, uh, for the humanity of animals? But I would say the following, um, which is going to any slaughterhouse is not going to be pretty and is not going to be something that uh, you would you will soon forget. Um, doesn't matter if it's kosher or non-kosher. Doesn't matter if you're giving the animal a bolt to the head, or if you're going to be uh, cutting open the you know cutting it from the neck and you know uh, severing its arteries and its windpipe and the like, and esophagus. It's not going to be pretty. Um, however, what I would say is they that they have you know really tried to make it. I think that it is more humane. Personally, I think it is more humane. I would rather have an animal uh, killed via the slaughter, you know, slaughtering and, you know, severing its arteries and veins and windpipes than having a bolt in the head. That's my own personal feeling about it. I'm, you know, people, intelligent people can differ in their feelings about that, and that is completely okay. Um... And so, um, and so there is, there is, there is that. So I, again, I, I, that's how I feel about it in terms of, uh, you know, it being, it being better or not better. It's, it's, I mean, I do think that it is actually more humane than any other way. Now, uh, Dash asked an interesting question up above, which I missed before. And I do apologize for that Dash. Um, as he's a winemaker, Dash, and what has been the historical way of keeping spiders out of wine? Absent modern technology of major wine processors, keeping spiders and spiderwebs out of your wine, it must, wine must, is virtually impossible. Um, I don't think wine before modern wine was ever kosher. Well, I, I would say you're probably incorrect about that, um, on a historical level. You, Dash, you're probably not correct about that. I don't know how they keep out spiders. Um, that's an interesting question, which I've never thought of, quite <laughs> uh, quite honestly. Um, but winemaking has been uh, a Jewish, a Jewish uh, pastime, I guess you could say, for a while, where or for thousands of years, where um, multiple people of who are renowned in the Jewish world have been vintners themselves. Um, the one that's very famous is Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, who was somebody that was, it goes by the acronym of Rashi, um, for the, you know, Rabbi Shlomo and then Yitzchaki Isaac is a, you know, uh, goes by that acronym. And he was a, he was in the, around the year 1000, he was a commentary, he does commentary on Bible and also on the Babylonian Talmud, maybe even the Jerusalem Talmud as well. And he was a winemaker. And wine is something that has always been, uh, pretty much been around. I, I mean, you know, from, from what I understand, and specifically kosher wine. Uh, you actually make, you know, you, oh, if I can springboard off of that for a second and talk about uh, kosher wines in general, which have, uh, you know, had gotten a very bad rap at, at certain, at a certain point 
you know, the Manischewitzes and the very, very sweet wines that there were. And a lot of the reason, you know, there's some history to that with regard to a lot of history. Actually, I think in the book Kosher Nation, she also mentions it as well. And it is, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of a lot of the reasons for it some of the reasons is that they started making wine here in new york upstate new york where they had only concord grapes and concord grapes are naturally sweet so that's what happened with that um also there is a an issue i think that they did it with uh, sacramento they, they had to make sure that the wine during the times of the prohibition if you listened to the uh, if if you were one of the three people that listened to the prohibition law uh, of alcohol during the times of the uh, 18th uh, 18th amendment you had i think it was the 18th amendment right 18th to 21st so i should really ask a history teacher about that um but i believe it's the 18th amendment then you had the you could only you were only allowed to use wine for uh for sacramental purposes and so they go ahead and uh, use that they made the wines for whatever reason for sacramental purposes it was supposed to be sweet I, I don't understand that I, I don't know the the more of the background on that dash you might know a little bit more on that as you are somebody that follows the wine making a little lot closer than I do I I drink it very rarely uh, so I but it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing I don't know if anybody remembers there was actually a Frasier episode um, and there was they were, were they making believe they were Jewish or I think they were making believe they were Jewish and they wound up they had only dry wine and they wound up uh, you know throwing some sugar into the wine because Jewish wine, kosher wine was supposed to be sweet like Manischewitz wines are, are uh, you know supposed to, were, were notoriously sweet uh, however the if I find if I find that from an episode uh, from the episode of Frasier on YouTube I will definitely uh, post that into the show notes as well. Um, however, that being said, uh, I've gone really far afield, but yes, wine has been around. Wine is mentioned in the Talmud. Wine is even mentioned in the Bible when it talks specifically is one thing about, uh, the Nazarite, uh, not being able to have any wine or grape products. So this is something, wine has always been something that has been, been around. Uh, so I'm not sure how they got rid of the spiders. I, I'm sorry, I really can't answer you about the, answer that, but uh, that is definitely uh, something that happened. Uh, so I, guys, I do apologize for not seeing your questions earlier, but if you have any more questions, uh, don't hesitate to either chime in during the, uh, you could you know unmute yourself and ask the question, or you can go ahead and post that into uh, any of the chats that we, uh, that we have, uh, over here. Are all rabbis able to adjudicate what is kosher? Um, or only certain ones? No, pretty much any, any, I would say any rabbi is really able to adjudicate what is kosher. And if you take a look at communities that there are a Jewish, there, where there is a Jewish community, uh, be it New York, be it Florida, be it Chicago, be it, uh, you know, Portland, be it uh, Greensboro, South Carolina, wherever it is, you are going to have, my wife just texted me a comment, so I'll talk about that in a second, um, you know, 
you're going to have the local rabbinic authorities going ahead and um, setting up a, you know, a organization to make sure that all the food, you know, the takeout restaurants or any restaurant or anything has a specific um, standard of kosher to it. And uh, so it's really anybody that could do it. Uh, some people are more ex- ex- are more respected in that, and some people are less respected in that in, in that regard. But there is always there is, you know really any rabbi could adjudicate that uh, that thing. So now let me get to my the comment of my lovely wife, which she said that kosher slaughter is supposed to be painless to the animal. Um, yes, and my father-in-law, actually of blessed memory, was somebody that did do the slaughtering, and he was he was a um, what what they call a shochet, somebody who and that comes from the uh, the the root of slaughtering, uh, the Hebrew word for slaughtering, <clears throat> and it was it is supposed to be uh, uh, supposed to be painless to the animal. I can't say that that is. Uh, really the case all the time that is definitely the goal that we make to make it painless for the animal so uh malky thank you very much for your comment there i do appreciate it and appreciate you texting it in you have that secret secret number for me um yeah so um that is pretty much kosher in on that 100,000 foot level that I, I try to take things at and try to get a little bit deeper if I can. I don't like to do it all the time or go very, very deep. I mean, there are issues that uh, we haven't, I don't think, gotten into, which I don't know if I really want to get into uh, with regards to um, other types of, you know, other types of things. But that is that is it. Any, any other questions uh, in the chat? Not from narco-Bidenist. Okay, so... As always, thank you guys for joining me. We're going to wrap it up and call it a day here. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, We will be back with episode four in about two weeks. And uh, thank you very much. And once again, thank you to the fifth column, unofficial fifth column podcast Discord server for hosting this wonderful get together. And I will see you guys in two weeks. I'm Aaron Benedict, and I am not a rabbi. (laughs) 